Welcome back to America's Talking. I'm Austin Berg. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Vanessa Rouse. Vanessa is the host of the Village Squarecast. The Village Squarecast, if you don't know already, is the flagship podcast of the Village Square. The Village Square is a nonpartisan public educational forum on matters of local, state, and national importance. They're dedicated to maintaining factual accuracy in civic and political debate by growing civil discourse on divisive issues and recalling the history and principles at the foundation of our democracy. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So I didn't plan to lead with this question, but you mentioned it right before we started recording. And I think it's really interesting because we've had many guests on this show in sort of the bridging divides. Uh, industry is too cold of a word, but the bridging divides space. And what I tend to find is that the folks often most interested in doing that work come from the left. And then you have conservatives who are extraordinarily skeptical of, okay, what does that actually mean? Bridging divides? It doesn't, it, it's, does that just mean some kind of wishy-washy compromise that doesn't actually, uh, you know, reflect my, my values, but I'm very curious from where you sit, is that an accurate description at all of kind of that, that movement and how do you bring conservatives into the fold effectively? Right. That's an excellent question and something we talk a lot about because it's very, very important to have these conversations across viewpoints. And so uh, basically at the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion and race. And it's very important to have a diverse audience for making these conversations really effective and get at what we're trying to do here, which is build civic trust and kind of break down divisions, have more respect for each other, get to know our neighbors. And so uh, we do work really hard to get a diverse audience in. Um, but this is one of the very fascinating aspects to me because uh, my experience is I came from more on the left side and I used to be further, further on the left. But what happened with me over the last two years, I started this job two years ago and it was right when COVID hit and we started the podcast as a response to COVID was one of the things that we did to still be able to reach people. And now we're on our 60th episode. And now it's been such an effective way to reach people that we put all of our, our in-person programs actually go out on the podcast. And then we have podcast exclusive programming too. And so me personally, I've had I have had the opportunity, the great pleasure of listening to 60 Village Square programs over two years. And that experience alone has changed me as a person. And the reason why I wanted to start there is because if you asked me this question two years ago, I would have given you some completely different answer that was just me surmising from my little spot over there, much further on the left side of the spectrum um, than I presently consider myself to be now about why I thought it was that conservatives don't come to the conversation. And now I have a totally different understanding and respect for this whole situation. And uh, really what I've come to realize is that um, conservatives do feel very beat up in the public square. They don't feel welcome for a lot of different reasons. And it's not at all the reasons that I would have thought, you know, before my, my old self two years ago would have said, um, Hey, it's because we, you know, they don't want to talk. They don't want to be backed into a corner basically when we start talking about these issues. And that's not it at all. They have a lot of good, solid reasoning on their side and they have been beat up to some extent. And now that I'm kind of, I have opened my mind to this concept, I do see it everywhere. And I think, you know, COVID is one of the things that 
really put a spotlight on a lot of our divisions. And it was fascinating to see that aspect play out during COVID too. The judgment, you know, that were, well, there was judgment flying, I think both directions. But um, since I personally kind of had my mind open to it a little bit, I was able to see where my quote unquote side was throwing judgment and being nasty. And of course, I'm not talking about everyone. Of course, we have, you know, we're such a diverse country and people have all sorts of different approaches with how they talk and what they feel about things. But at a very, very broad level, I have come around to seeing how conservatives don't necessarily feel safe opening themselves up to this type of dialogue. Uh, That safety element, I think, is really interesting. So I'm calling you from Chicago, and we just had this horrible mass shooting up in Highland Park, which is half an hour drive from where I am right now. It's obviously an extremely divisive topic in America today, is what do we do about mass shootings? And what do we do about the Second Amendment? And how do we treat guns and mental health in this country? I think it can be very hard for people on the left on that issue, for example, to hear someone say, we need to empathize with conservatives because they're getting beat up or backed into a corner, you know, in their mind, they're seeing on television, you know, these atrocities, right? And it's hard to square those two things. So when you see something like that, can you describe what goes on in your head to help you kind of rise above the the rancor and extraordinary passionate emotions around really serious things like that? Right. Absolutely. Well, I think that every single issue that we talk about is way, 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 way more complicated than we make it sound uh, in our super divisive corners, you know, where we where we kind of are right now, where we're we're so divided on so many very, very important things. And the way that we're talking and thinking about the other side is that they're completely evil. So on this issue, it is such an emotional issue. It's such an important thing going on. And there's really no arguing with, in my opinion, there's no arguing with the fact that we have a very big problem here in America. I mean, look at our look at our numbers on these shootings compared to other areas. And we really do have some things to fix. But still, it's a very, very complicated issue. This, it's interesting that you brought this issue up because um, I, I am part of a divided household. My husband and I are registered differently and we often vote the same, but we're registered with different parties and he's a hunter. You know, I can't, we, we are so, we came from completely different backgrounds. I came from this super liberal hippie upbringing. I lived on what some people call it. Like we, we were in a community that was like a, a kibbutz. Kibbutz. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. A commune. Yeah, basically. Sure. <laughs> basically, it was started by a bunch of college students in the 70s who wanted to live all in, you know, in the woods together. And there's common land. And yes, I came from that side. And my husband came from a very conservative family who loves to hunt and fish. And uh, and my husband and I are both very, very much closer to the center than our than our uh, families. But we have this dialogue all the time. And so he helps me understand some of the things, uh, some of the arguments on the other side. But basically, he's a guy who is not in support of really anything the NRA does. But he wants to keep his guns because he loves to, he loves to hunt and he's got other he's got I won't speak for him. We have mm-hmm. this dialogue. We can go down this rabbit hole a lot. But the point is, 
is that these issues are complicated and it's been fascinating to me to see how we on whatever side you're on, we make assumptions and judgments about people. And I'll give you an example. Right now we have a project going on where we're gathering um, some uh, survey data from individuals in our community to kind of figure out where they fall. And we're going to match people up to have a, a coffee date, a conversation. And it's allowed me to see behind the scenes how people are feeling about different things, why they are what they are, right? And so before looking, before kind of peeling these layers back and looking at those answers to our survey questions, which by the way, are not like, are you a Republican? Are you Democrat? Are you, um, do you, are you aligned with faith? They're not that simple. They're a lot more complicated. And so I'm already seeing a move in myself from where, you know, I can be in this little box where I'm where I'm basically putting everybody else in a box. Well, you believe this one thing, well, you have to believe these other five things too. And that is just not true. And so mm. I saw somebody's answer the other day about why they were a conservative and it had to do with supporting veterans. And mm. it meant so much to me. I was just like, well, I support veterans. I think that's one of the things that we, you know, could be, we could, be a lot better in that area. You know, mm -hmm. these are the people that go and fight for our country and our freedom. And we have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines and making judgments and being loud. And so I, mm -hmm. as a, you know, as a person, I consider myself still tipped towards the left a little bit, but mm -hmm. I really identify with that and have for a very long time and really been puzzled by some of the things that I hear said, because I think that's just something really critical for us to do. So all of a sudden I'm reading this survey data and I felt myself very much connected to this person that uh, she has, you know, her, fa she's, her family is just filled with veterans. And I started imagining what is it like to be her and to, ha to have felt um, to have felt judgment, to have felt that her family members weren't supported in different ways, to see the sacrifice that they, that they go through for us, for all country, for all of us. And it just gave me a whole different perspective. So before reading, before diving into this survey data, I could have thought she must support all the things that I might be fired up about today. That may not be true. She might feel exactly like I do on guns, but she still might be a conservative for other reasons. And so, yes, yeah, super hot topic. But um, I think that all of this is a whole lot more complex than it seems on the surface right now. That's really, really interesting. So I want to get your thoughts on the politically divided marriage. So that is an endangered species in the United yeah. States, and it's been declining since the 80s, I think. And I, I believe most experts think that's because of the increasing correlation between education and party affiliation. So the more educated you are, the more likely you are to identify with the Democratic Party. And then kind of our marriage sorting is very much, it's very rarely across those kind of educational boundaries. Uh, so we're seeing it less and less. But so what are some tips you have for folks who are in a politically divided marriage or very close relationship? Like what's the most important lesson you've learned going through that? Yes. Well, I will answer that, but I'll tell you this, that I just, I have heard a couple of different places recently that now we are more comfortable when it comes to like hiring people or hanging out with people. We're more comfortable with people um, in our, basically we'd rather hire somebody of a different race <laughs> than someone of a different political party. And I thought, mm -hmm. wow, well, this is super awesome that we're more comfortable with <laughs> the race aspect. That's amazing. But to think, think about all of the dialogue about 
um, you know, racial discrimination when it comes to employment and everything. And then now that a different political party and um, also with faiths too, with faiths, Mm -hmm. we're more comfortable people inside our own faith. So all this is just super fascinating. So as far as advice, so for, uh, well, I think each, each marriage has its own dynamic. And so, um, you know, often there's a more dominant person in our marriage. There's really not, we are, we're both pretty, (laughs) we're both pretty dominant and things can get kind of hot, but what we've had to do definitely is learn to, to put down certain issues is learn to, uh, we've learned what we can talk about and what we can't. And then also just when it's a good time, you know, after mm-hmm. several glasses of wine, it's not a good time, you know, we just <laughs> wait till the next day. There have been lots of times we're sitting there watching, we still watch the daily news together. We agree on ABC and, um, there are definitely lots of times that we'll be watching that at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, you know, I'll talk to you about this tomorrow. So, yeah. you know, picking your conversations, picking how far you want to go with things, because one of the things we talk about the village, one of the things we talk about, excuse me, at the village square is that our goal in getting together is not to change people's minds. And so that's a really important thing. You know, when I'm talking to my husband or really anybody mm-hmm. is that, I shouldn't be coming to this conversation with the idea that I'm going to change his mind. Opening him other, other goals that are important is um, opening people's minds to consider why my mind is made up to, to what I've decided I feel about something. And then just having more trust and respect for people. It's, it's something that is not happening um, as much as it should. And it's really, we can see the damage of that. Coming at a, a conversation from the perspective of not needing to change someone's mind is huge. Um, I think that reframes a lot of conversations and uh, oftentimes the measure of success of a conversation is simply you learn more about the other person's position rather than trying to move them. When you think about the impact of more civility and politics on everyday life, that's something I often struggle to convey to people when you say, yeah, we need more civil discourse or we need to be more civic toward one another. People intellectually kind of understand that, but it's it's kind of uh, uh, not something you can really grab onto in the heat of the moment and being passionate about injustice about something, right? So could you talk about some examples of how someone's daily life or experience in their community would be made different via more civility in politics? One of the things that we've learned is this is a this is a muscle that has to be built and flexed. It's not something that you like learn and you walk away and you're like, oh, okay, cool, I can get along with all types of people, and you know, I'm I'm humble and uh, open to other ideas. It's something that has to be practiced on a regular basis, and so finding different ways to kind of work this into your life. And so for our, for our local community, we have in-person events and we have members and they come and hang out with us on a regular basis and talk about all sorts of things. Uh, for our, we have a, we have a local operation and then we have a national operation and the podcast is part of the national operation. So listening on a regular basis to, to the podcast can be something that helps us work on that on a regular basis. We also have a lot of uh, what we consider like do it yourself, kind of like we're going to show you the roadmap, we're going to show you the blueprint, and then you can go off into your own life and and do these things. So we recently had a program on our podcast called Skeptics. And it's actually, um, 
It was a God Squad program. I'm going to have to tell you in just a minute about God Squad program, because this really mm-hmm. has to do with how we get conservatives to the conversation. But anyway, it was under our, uh, we have different types of programs. And so this one was a God Squad program where it was about, it was called Let the Skeptics Have Their Say. And it's basically a group of men who have been meeting for about 20 years in our community. They meet, they meet once a week and they, it's kind of like a book club sort of, but they kind of talk about the issues of the day. They're very diverse in their beliefs. Some, they're not, some are atheists and, uh, but a lot are, Uh, belong to different faith groups and they get together and they talk openly and in person. That's a big thing about all types of issues about life's biggest questions. And so that would be an example of where we featured the group on our podcast with the purpose of showing people you can do this. You can do this in your own lives, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but one of the keys is to get out of our silos. Right. So Part of the problem that we're having right now in America is that we're more and more hanging out with people like us. And then we find ourselves in these groups and we want to stay in the group. We don't want our group to kick Mm -hmm. us out. And so we kind of tend to, you know, support our group, back each other up. And then all of a sudden we're in this place where we're, we're really not exposed to the other two diverse viewpoints. And then we have all this vilifying going on and the other group that is not here hanging out with us. Well, they're terrible and they're evil because they want mass shootings to happen. Like we get that, we get that extreme, right. Where we think these wild things about people. And um, so just finding ways to incorporate it into your daily life where you can um, actually get to know the people and what's behind what they think. Because Mm -hmm. I I really do, I brought up, I brought up guns again because I really, really think that this is one of the, it's so hot of an issue. It's so emotional as it should be. And when it comes to the everyday American, I really feel like we're more on the same page with each other than it seems. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the reason why it seems so, it seems like we're not is because of the system of the political system that we're living in. So Mm -hmm. what what I try to also do in my mind is kind of separate the people, the Americans from the political system. There are certainly Mm -hmm. things in our political system that make it challenging for us to get along. You know, Um, often you have to play some of these games in order just in order to get elected. And so it puts us in a pickle. But one of the things that I've kind of come around to over my two years of listening to 60 programs is that we're all manipulated on both Mm -hmm. sides of the aisle. We're manipulated. What do you think uh, on on an institutional level, what's a change? People talk about ranked choice voting, for example, as an institutional change that would reduce polarization in politics. Can you think of one sort of institutional change in the political process that you think would do would would make a meaningful difference in um, in polarization? Right. Yes, I think there needs to be ways for uh, we have to we have to make our we have to set up systems where our politicians need to work together and need to compromise with each other. So uh, I think there have been different changes over time that have made it so that the power uh, is kind of more with the extremes and then the power is with the controlling party. And so if there were different structural changes that were made that 
uh, encouraged or or even force people to work together more, then it gets us out of this this whole extreme thing. So you know the whole thing about um, the primaries, and so more extreme politicians win in the primaries, and then that's who you're you end up being stuck with. Um, we have so many things like that where um, the extremes are able to control what happens and uh, mm-hmm. who gets elected, essentially. And so I think it skews how it seems like Americans feel about things. So we have talked about what we call the exhausted majority a lot. And so I think a whole lot of Americans are in the exhausted majority. We actually shared a study. I'm blanking on who did it right now. We referenced this study and it was amazing. Mm -hmm. It may have been called exhausted with politics, but Mm -hmm. anyway, they um, there was a group that categorized that you know uh, surveyed a whole bunch of Americans and categorized people into different groups, and it had you know kind of the traditional conservatives and then all had uh, groups all along the spectrum, and then there was kind of this exhausted majority, and it was really incredible how many people fall in that or mm-hmm. how many people did not fall in the extremes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I I am a believer. That, that we agree a whole lot more than it seems like we do. And it's that the extremes have control over the airspace in a lot of ways, including a lot of what happens with our politicians. So, yeah. We should talk about God Squad, but really briefly, who is, who's the Michael Jordan of like civil discourse? Who's someone on the right that you think does a, exemplifies this? in what they do and say, and then who's someone on the left that you think is the best at this? Oh man. Well, before you said somebody on the right, somebody on the left, I was going to say, Hey, it's my boss. Um, (laughs) She is our president and founder, Liz Joyner Mm -hmm. started the village square 15 years ago because she saw that this was a problem long before many of us were thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And um, she's become a pioneer in the space and is like a national celebrity because uh, people have now, you know, now there's hundreds and hundreds of bridge building organizations. And when she started this 15 years ago, there were, there was hardly anybody doing this work. And so the number of programs that we have had where an author or somebody working on documentary comes in and they say, Hey, Liz, you were the first person I found. And I interviewed you first for my book and everything that Mm -hmm. you said is just right and all that. So to me, she is, she deserves top of the list, but, but she's not, she's not on the either end of the spectrum. Just the first name that came into my mind when you said that is John Mm -hmm. McCain, because I think just that his attitude on a whole lot of things And I think about the transition of power, how he supported, Mm -hmm. hey, this is, it may not have been who I voted for, but he's my president too. That type of attitude, I think, is, um, is what we're missing. I don't know. I'll let you think on, on someone on the left. In the meantime, we should talk about, I'm very curious about the fact that you guys incorporate faith, which I don't think is talked about enough, actually, in many of these bridge building organizations, because it is the lens through which so much of politics goes through and it should be addressed. Um, could you talk about the role of faith in depolarization? Yes. So I'm actually in a book club right now studying the book, uh, John Haidt's book, 
the righteous mind, why good people are divided over politics and religion. And I'm telling you, it's, I've read half the book like a couple years ago and now I'm in this book club. So I'm going back to it and, and finishing the whole thing. And I'm just like, mind is blown by every single chapter, but that it has really taken me another few steps forward on understanding how much faith can drive the way that we view things. And also to, to the point in which um, us here in America, we sort of are outliers in this way. There are, you know, other parts of the world and in our long history here, uh, faith really is a huge aspect for uh, how people how people organize, how they form their beliefs, um, what kind of their foundation, how they view their foundation. And um, it's really opened up my mind to understanding why this has to be a part of the conversation. So, and I think that is one of the reasons why conservatives haven't felt as comfortable because they're beaten up over their faith. They come in and it's like, you know, liberals want to say, well, that's not, that's not a part of this conversation. We don't, we're talking about, you know, X, Y, and Z, like, how does your faith even matter here at all? And, um, the answer is that, well, it does. Uh, so what we did to combat that is we created a series specifically on around faith and it's called God squad. We have, um, we have about four different like program lines. So types of programs. And it was early on in our history, about 10 to 12 years ago, I think when we recognized that we weren't getting as many conservatives in as we wanted, and we, we needed to find a solution for that. And the solution was, was God squad. So we bring in faith leaders from across our community and diverse faith leaders. And we have conversations about the hot topics of the day, but they're usually political conversations. They're usually political topics talked about through a faith lens and it's been fascinating to me. I grew up not in the church and I grew up uh, not feeling comfortable asking my questions and participating in these conversations. So as a podcast listener or as a person in the audience for our events, you don't have to, you don't have to ask questions unless you want to, you know, unfortunately you can't ask questions on the podcast. That would be really nice. But um, uh, certainly a component of our in-person programming is that we want, we want people to ask questions, but if you're not comfortable, you can just sit there and listen and learn. And I have learned so much and I've been delighted that actually there are answers to my questions. You know, like I, I thought, well, there's some areas, this is, this is one of the areas where I thought, oh, you can be backed into a corner here. And that's what, not why you, that's why you don't want to talk about it. False, <laughs> false. I have not heard a panelist be backed into a corner yet. There's so much behind, um, you know, behind why people believe what they believe that makes a whole ton of sense. And so um, we felt that it was very important. Well, I should say Liz, 12 years ago, long before I got here, um, understood that it is so critically important to make to create a public square where people are comfortable bringing their faith. And that's what God Squad is. And it really has worked in Chris. bringing conservatives in. Yeah. Vanessa Rouse, thank you for joining us. And thanks for talking. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for having our podcast, Village Squarecast, part of your network. We appreciate what you guys are doing so much. We're glad to have you. Thanks again. <laughs>